0: It is hard to believe we've been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since
1: 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions.
1: The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals links to the source material from all of our adapted film discussions. Purchasing through our links support the show at no extra cost to you.
0: In Season 12, the focus was big franchises and series. We covered both Paddington films, adapted from the beloved children's book
1: character created by Michael Bond. I love those films so much.
0: Hugh Grant is
1: perfect. For our Pitch Perfect series, the first film was adapted from Mickey Rapkin's nonfiction book about collegiate acapella competitions.
0: It's like a short story of my life, literally. I lived college acapella. Sing it, brother. I lived college acapella. <laughs> it didn't
1: mean literally. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know who you're talking to, right? The Twilight Saga dominated the season with five films adapted from Stephanie Meyer's vampire romance novels Twilight, New Moon, Eclipse and the two Breaking Dawn
1: parts. Dominated with awkward romance and nonsense logic is more like it. <laughs> that too. Another Thin Man brought us back to Dashiell Hammett's only Thin Man sequel based on other Hammett material, The Farewell Murder, that wasn't just based on the characters from the first film.
0: We talked about Train Spotting and its sequel, T2 Train Spotting, adapted from Irvine Welsh's novels.
1: Ugh, I hate the sequel's name. I do too. And the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy adapted from J.R.R. Tolkien's epic fantasy series love these extended editions all the way maybe plus all the mission impossible
0: films based on the 1960s tv series
1: and we've still got at least one more to go
0: members got to hear us chat about the hustler and the color of money adapted from walter tevis's books
1: get all of these books and more at our originals page thenextreelcom slash originals
0: start your next read from the movies we've covered at thenextreel.com slash originals
1: Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the
0: next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 is over. I just thought it would be bigger. It's impossible.
1: It's growing it's crushing you from the inside
0: out your heart will give out before you can deliver you did this i can't see bella's future anymore we you don't know what they've read we have to protect the tribe before it's too late you're the enemy now sam won't
1: hesitate you will be slaughtered i'm starving you by the hour i'm the one who loses lose you you have to accept what is you've given me no choice they're coming from Bella. They're not going to touch her.
0: If you kill her, you kill me! That was pretty good, right? That was funny. I just thought it would be bigger. Best line in the movie. (laughs) That's pretty telling that the best line in the movie is a throwaway, probably improvised line from Anna Kendrick, who is woefully underused in the entire saga because
1: she should have been Alice. Well, the thing with Anna Kendrick is she wasn't really a star when she first appeared in the first movie. Right. And so she by just, now <laughs> she she's just probably the most overpaid bit player in the movie by this point because she's like if I'm gonna come back I want more money yeah right <laughs> uh, talk
0: about not being able to see around a particular corner uh, there's just a lot I don't know what do you, okay so Breaking Dawn we're still in Breaking the Breaking Dawn, Dawn saga part one yeah
1: we're in the Breaking Dawn saga we're in the Twilight saga. And we're in the era of splitting books into multiple movie entries. That is the era. You're right. That's where we are right now. Certainly, certainly something that we will talk about. Uh, But first, let me just tell you, Pete, when this film came out, it was again rated PG 13. Can you guess why? Some sexuality. There, it, it, It's been sensuality so far, but this time oh. we have disturbing images, violence, sexuality, and partial nudity, and some thematic elements.
0: Wait, it's not sensuality anymore? It's sexuality? It's
1: just going straight for the sex now. Forget the sensualness. Outstanding. It's a real bedbreaker, they should have said. <laughs> I think it was on one poster I saw.
0: A real bed breaker,
1: <laughs> Twilight Breaking Down Part One. A real bed breaker. That's exactly what it is. All right, uh, says the says the um, uh, the person coming to clean the house. <laughs> I choose you. Let's talk first about splitting movies and this trend okay. before we get into okay. this because i uh, uh okay the first time that i know that that happened was um i don't know was it this it, it's been harry potter the last book the hunger Games, the last book and this the last book are there many other uh times where that has happened because harry potter came out the same year as um the last film right
0: uh, there have been others there have definitely been others that have been split into two. But of this period, was it the first uh, Harry Potter was in 2010, 2011? Uh, you know, the the list that I have here is not I mean, this is the Wikipedia list. Um, Are you looking at list of films split into multiple parts? List of books split into two parts. But the list of fi- Yeah, you're right. It, that, that title I searched for the list of
1: books and it took me the top search was split this. into two movies. Yeah. Well, Harry Potter in the Deathly Hallows parts 1 and 2 was 2010-2011. Then this was uh, 2011-2012. And The Hobbit was 12-13-14. Hunger Games Mockingjay was 14-15. It was 2017-2019. So, I mean, it has been something that has been happening but it really seems like of big studio tentpole books uh book adaptations it seems like harry potter and the deathly hallows started something in 2010
0: oh here's an interesting one the godfather it's it's actually really funny i threw out the godfather that the mario Puzo novel is actually parts one and two right like it was kind of Split because they didn't know what to do with it, but technically in hindsight sort of looks
1: like that if you squint your eyes I've never read the book, so I don't know uh, how much comes from that that's interesting
0: yeah uh three musketeers slash four musketeers nineteen seventy three and seventy four that's a hit I know you'll love and of course we yeah we, we talked we, about
1: that and um, when did we talk about that on one of our Uh, pre-show chats for a different uh, previous series that we did yeah
0: of course dune uh right now we're in the middle we're in the liminal space
1: but it it definitely seemed like right around this point when filmmakers I, i don't know there's there's an interesting way of looking at this of hey let's take this one book and make even more money on it by splitting it into two now I know like the Harry Potter books are notoriously huge and so there's a lot in each of them and they probably could have split all of them and still had plenty of content to do but I think there's there's also an element of thinning out some of the content to make it to kind of keep it feeling more cinematic where it's not dragging on because Harry Potter and the, the Deathly Hallows I mean that one was fine the Hunger Games Mockingjay, that was a snooze. That should have been one movie because both of those movies ended up feeling lethargic because they squeezed it into or they spread it out across two films. Which will be coming back to that exact feeling momentarily, I'm sure. Well, I, I'm curious because uh, Breaking Dawn was split into the two parts, part one and part two. You know, I said to my wife as we were watching this, I'm like, I, I can't believe that they split this book into two. They could have easily made this. The the entire film could have just been the first act. And she's like, Yep. well, there is a lot that happens in part two. And that was OK. That was her her response to that. So it's I don't know. Maybe it's a conversation we need to have after or in our next episode. Yeah. Once we've watched it to say, could they have shoehorned all of this film into the first 20 minutes or so?
0: Well, here's an interesting twist on the, uh, you know, because obviously at the time this was happening, we have the Hunger Games, which was kind of in this YA thing. And, you know, there was also the Maze Runner that came out. There was also the Divergent movies. Remember that? And in 2016, Allegiant came out and Allegiant was part one of the book and was supposed to be followed up by Ascendant. But because Allegiant sucked, it just ends and they never made the, the rest of the book, which I didn't even know because the movie was so bad I wasn't interested in even looking at it. But I think that's really interesting and it's really perilous when you go into this these kinds of projects like I think this movie obviously had crazy momentum to get that second movie made like this. This would have had to be a, a serious bomb to make that happen. I don't think that any of the divergent movies actually came close to this. I'd be curious, but uh, but, you know, it's a big risk. It's a big swing.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky element to, to do. And I, I guess in the case of, of these big franchises, like they had been doing really well at the box office. Um, whereas Divergent, I think had kind of continued going down worse and worse each time at the box office by the time Allegiant came out. I mean, it was a bomb. It was, yeah. no one wanted to see it. And so they, they kind of shot themselves in the foot. And that's, that's, the trickiest thing that you can do when you're doing these sorts of things. And the other trick is, you know, the author wrote a book that tells a complete story, I guess you could say, and here you are artificially splitting it into pieces. And I guess that's a good starting place as any with this film is like, essentially we spend the first, you know, half of the film, 40, minutes, 40, 45 minutes dealing with a wedding And everybody's happy, except Jacob, who at least does come and have a dance. And then they go off on their honeymoon to a private island off of uh, the coast of Rio. And they have a lot of sex. And and then it turns out that she's pregnant. And that's like 45 minutes that it's like, wow, there's a lot of time being spent on happy, happy romance. Let's get married. Let's uh, go on our honeymoon. And it was kind of surprising. And and the entirety of the film is really about Bella now getting pregnant and dealing with her pregnancy. And that's kind of it. And it's, I don't know, I was really surprised that this film only encompasses what it encompasses because it seems really, really small. Yeah, it's super thin. and.
0: You you get that feeling of exuberance on the very last cut when she opens her eyes and she is she survived the everything's and now she's officially uh, a vampire. <laughs> Spoiler: Bella becomes a vampire, but we don't get to see any of that in this movie. Like we just get the tease. Uh, it's one of the. Uh, the sort of twilight cliffhangers the will you marry me <gasps> cliffhanger the open your eyes cliffhanger like this is just what they do to end these movies which i i think would have been more powerful had you and i then had to if well, one conditionally you and i both loved these movies and two watch them and then had to wait a year or two t- for the next one to come out they would have been more impactful i think it was not terribly impactful it was just kind of frustrating
1: it's interesting that they are doing this with with these films anyway because it is such a uh, kind of creating that element of a hook is such a TV thing. You have these short form things, especially, I mean, it's the nature of TV. And, you know, you talk about this with, you know, making sure they don't switch the channel when it's the commercial break. Okay, then you got to put that hook right at the end um, before the commercial break to make sure that they stay on because they want to see what happens as soon as you come back from the commercial break. And then at the end of the film or at the end of the episode, what are you going to do that kind of makes them want to come back for the next episode next week? And it's it's like that's the nature of This sort of serialized storytelling. And it's interesting to see them using it to such a big degree in this film as if they were concerned about the audience coming back. Like they have to build a cliffhanger in, yet they had a built in audience. And I, you know, not having read the books, I don't know if the ends of each of the books are built to be such cliffhangers, but it does feel strange that they are really playing with that in the films, at least. I I think you're right. I think the hooks are weird, but. I also do think they
0: (laughs) there's something about needing them because the movie is so slow. Like it is that slight little dopamine push that reminds me, okay, well, I guess this movie is over. But I I I'm going to come back because this this, you know, they're trying to make an impact. And the interesting stuff is yet to come. Right. That's really the promise. The interesting stuff is yet to come. And because there's very, very little interesting stuff in this movie there. I mean, there are. I, I'd be curious. I, I didn't look at cinematics, but I mean, there's a shot of just the lace on her gown that's uh, walking down the aisle. That's just filler. It's just filler. It is just reminiscent of so many of the shots in this this wedding that are they just are never ending. I'm also not a wedding guy. I'm just very much not a wedding guy.
1: Let's uh, just as a reminder, this is not made for us and no. people who are probably very much fans of this particular story may be the sort of person who really loves seeing those shots at weddings and they love those intimate shots of those little details at a wedding, uh, like in a wedding video or wedding photos that really capture the sense of a wedding and the wedding cakes and the lace and the decorations on the chairs or whatever it is. Like that's the sort of thing that a lot of people gravitate to. And when you have this buildup, let's just say, of we're in the fourth film of this series now and we're finally getting to this wedding of these two characters that a lot of people really love. Like, it to them, it's like, let's make it feel like they're also going to the wedding. And I can see Bill Condon as the director coming in now, saying that, like, I really want to make it feel like we're at that wedding, and I want to make it feel like people are seeing those wedding photos, and they're they're having those little elements that are going to be burned into their brain of the lace and the the backs of the dress and all that sort of thing, because that's what people who are big in this world, who love these characters, want to see. And so I absolutely think that, yeah, there's there is a a sense of all of that that really makes sense.
0: I get. I, I mean, I get it. I don't want to like. Uh, th- that's not something I'm going to go to the mat for. But it does go back for me to the overall sense of pacing of this movie, and it gets to my real point, which is even though it felt very slow and felt paced very, very slow to me, it was still really delightful to look at. I think they, 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 you know, they've matured the look of the film, and I think it was, um, it it was shot well. It, the color was really delightful. Like I, I found myself. Like really enjoying the warmth of the movie so much more than some of the previous films that we've 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 been watching with them. What do you think? I mean, did you did you find you attuned better, worse, indifferent to the look?
1: Yeah, I mean, the look of the film um, was fine. I mean, you know, we've uh, Guillermo Navarro is the DP on this particular film. I don't know if he's worked with Bill Condon on anything. Else, I, I think it is just these two films, and also has not worked on any other part of this franchise. You know the the previous films. There definitely was a look to them where it was very um, bluish blues greys for the vampire parts of the story, and then the parts of the story for the uh, the werewolves was a much more natural. A lot of greens, a lot of, you know, kind of the forests were very vibrant sort of feel that we had. And I think that that was uh, definitely something that, I mean, I think that it caught the tone of the film. I didn't really have any particular issues with the looks in any of them. The first film was Elliot Davis, who did the DP work. And the second and third was, um, uh, I think, a, a different cinematographer, um, I, I really haven't had any issues with the looks. I think it's fine. I think it's, it's how is the director using the look to kind of make a, you know, capture the world. I, I think, if anything, what I find I like the most in the films is when I'm getting a sense of kind of, I don't know, I find the premise pretty goofy, kind of these these vampires that are sparkly and these werewolves and everything. It just, it has kind of a vibe. And so I still think Catherine Hardwick captured the campiness the best. Weirdly, I kind of feel this one gets closer than either of the second or third film to some of that campiness. I don't think that it's quite on the campy level, but I think Bill Condon at least seems to be seems to understand a little more of kind of the nonsense of the story. And so is kind of going along for kind of the, the romance of the whole thing. And so I kind of, I feel like there's something there that I end up buying into with the way that Condon and his DP um, are capturing it better than we really saw in either eclipse or new uh, new moon. Yeah, I think maybe that's it. The other thing I, I, it's hard not to notice is
0: that maybe as a because the overall tone of the film is is warmer, the vampires are – they just look warmer, right? And when I look at Edward and Bella at the wedding and Emmett standing up doing his speech, like the eyes obviously have a, the treatment to them, right? They have the, the vampire kind of bright contacts. But their skin – makes it look like they fit in much more with everybody else. Like the overall skin treatment, like the makeup effect, the color of, coloring of the vampires is much more human than it has been in any of the movies previous to
1: me. Yeah, maybe that's um, there is a little bit to that. And, you know, I mean, the vampires by this point are hanging out with a lot more humans than they really ever seemed to. They, I mean, geez, the wedding was just full of humans. And, full and of
0: humans. There was... Only one little uh, potential, like, little tiny outburst, but it wasn't even about blood, about them not being able to be around blood. It was about the vampires, or, uh, uh, Maggie Grace's the character, yeah. uh, right. about yeah. being the, the werewolves. Yeah, Irina had her little bit of frustration, but none of the cousins seemed to have any problem hanging around with so many humans. Like, this could have been a real, you know, vampire buffet.
1: Yeah. But I, I think there is an interesting element to that, that probably they have been working on doing over the course of the films, or certainly here, is allowing the vampires to not necessarily be so gloomy and welcoming them more into the human world. And yeah, I think a lot of that is the fact that this film starts with the wedding. And I think that Bill Condon probably worked with the DP to really craft something that didn't necessarily feel like we needed to carry that blue... Uh, you know, Pacific Northwest feel to the film that allowed a little more vibrance and color to pop. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, this film more than any of the previous ones really kind of celebrates the relationship. And that's really where we uh, spend the film is the celebration of the relationship between uh, Bella and Edward. And, you know, even Jacob is able to kind of get through his feelings. And, you know, as I said earlier, has his little dance with Bella uh, before he runs off and everything. And so, I I think that there is that to the look. I think they, you know, in many in respects, they sort of have
0: to because if they looked too vampiry, putting them sitting in and amongst all of these humans, that would have been the thing that we stopped and talked about. Yeah, right, right, right. It would have been almost too unbelievable that that they could have had that this scene at all. Uh, but that I think we got that, and they were able to continue it with the rest of the movie to make it feel fun and sort of jubilant just by not making the vampires look so dour. That's that's great.
1: Well, and it didn't feel like the wedding didn't feel like it was a overcast gray Pacific wet northwest day. It actually not felt sunny. It yeah. felt but it felt like because they had planned this wedding under all these trees that it felt very dappled and yeah. so you didn't necessarily have the feel of a gray day. It felt like a sunny but you're not in the sun day.
0: And I I mean you're not it's not in the light for very long. Very very shortly after it's nighttime, right? The light yeah, yeah, hanging right, from right. the trees. It's um anyhow I think that stuff is, is fine. So, but that we get through the wedding, they get married.
1: It's, it, I mean, we do spend an awful lot of time at the wedding. And to the point where I'm like, there's just so much going on here at the wedding. Um, there were, you know, a couple funny things when um, uh, Anna Kendrick, I think, is the one who says, who else gets married at 18? Like her little comment about the fact that she's probably pregnant. And then there was also the, um, the weirdly terrible speech montage i'm not saying the montage <laughs> itself was terrible i'm saying everybody who spoke at the wedding gave a terrible speech and it was like they were celebrating that and i guess this kind of goes into my sense of maybe bill condon is trying to tap into some of that camp a little bit the fact that it was a montage of just really bad speeches at a wedding you know and yeah. it's just i don't know it's one of those moments But what's interesting about
0: it is they didn't give anyone a chance to give a good speech. And in my experience, there's like even at weddings, at real life human weddings, there's always somebody who gives a great speech, you know. And the fact that we already had set up Anna Kendrick as the great graduation speaker, I think they should have given her something more to chew on at the particular wedding it doesn't make any sense anymore why her friends are even there because she doesn't seem to have much of a relationship with them. We've talked about the, how the relationship is sort of winnowed away over the course of the last few movies. And so I know, like, you you made the comment about Anna Kendrick being the, the best paid bit performer in this film. Like, <laughs> there, there's a reason they're there. I get it. But yeah. uh, but it did make me question. I think the bigger bigger question is one you just brought up, which is the fact that they've completely written out any of dad's concerns about her being with edward anymore and now she's getting married he's giving her away and doesn't say anything about the fact that she really is 18 like is that that's really okay it's so okay we're not even going to talk about it i get that he is they they did write in the the father-daughter bit about how weird it is to be in this house without her in it but she's getting married to this guy and that wasn't a question in the movie i get how mom is so daffy she wouldn't have cared but
1: well mom is daffy she was so excited about getting that uh which i thought was funny because the the one thing i laughed at the most at that scene is the fact that we finally get to see her uh you know bella's stepfather but it's just like (laughs) the back of his ear as we get like an over the shoulder of him as mom is so excited (laughs) i'm like that's it he doesn't even come to the wedding oh no, Stand in. <laughs> oh, I was like, is that somebody's cameo? Is that like the director, actually? Who is that? That's so funny. It's, yeah, there, there are a lot of elements that end up feeling glossed over, like having that moment of, you know, you're 18. We should talk about this. And it feels like there should be some form of a parental bit that we get. And I don't know if the whole idea is... All of that happened between movies, right? The end of the last movie is like, well, somehow we've got to tell Charlie. And they kind of have that look on their face like, oh, crap. Yeah. And now it's like they've had that conversation. So it's, but it's a weird conversation to skip because it really seems that should be pertinent. But part of me wonders, like, is that coming from. Is there an element of Stephanie Meyer and her religious background that uh, that kind of ends up getting tied into this and the idea of you know let's just let's just get married and then we can you know have our own lives together sort of thing? I don't know, but it feels it feels rushed and it just feels like there's some elements to that.
0: Well, that's interesting that you say that. Like, I just don't. To me, if there was that particular bent, and for a movie that has spent to your point so much time considering. How they handle Charlie to not have a scene that deals with the traditional element of the marriage process. Right. The proposal of dealing with Charlie there, of dealing with, you know, planning, you know, getting over the emotional humps of losing the the, the father. It just feels like a weird place to rush. When they spend so much time at the wedding, I feel like they could have shaved off a few minutes at the wedding and giving us a little bit of the rewarding roller coaster of Charlie having feelings about this and not just meandering.
1: Well, I mean, certainly, I think Billy Burke would have enjoyed having a little bit more meat to his role. Something to chew on. For a change. Yeah, something to do. That would have been nice to see. So. Uh, I, I, I get it. Well, and it's funny. I'm, I'm just assuming that it's not in any of the books. Like, I, I don't know the process of adapting, like, how much was cut, how much was changed. It seems like people have been trying to be fairly, um, you know, hewing fairly close to the source material. But in a film where they are splitting the book into two... It seems like that's an opportunity to say, let's add a little scene here, you know, or do we need to spend half hour of the film just on a honeymoon? Can we squeeze in a five minute conversation between Bella and her father about decisions that you make when you're 18?
0: Or for crying out loud, Edward and her father, like there should be some like positioning between these two men. Right. That that this is a this is not even just a handoff of, of the daughter, but it's a handoff of authority and agency to this other man. And Charlie still doesn't know anything about the vampire stuff. So let him have a chance to to explore what it means to be the dad. He's had hints of it throughout the other several movies. And the fact that he gets none of them here is a is a miss. So, I, I we don't need to belabor that, but it just is a miss to me.
1: It's uh, kind of a, as a continuation of though of like exploring some of the emotions at the beginning pre-wedding. We do have Edward, who seems to be having second thoughts at the beginning of the film. Uh, I wrote down in my notes, he's not Edward Cullen, he's Edward Sullen. <laughs> he's, he's very, very kind of blue about the whole thing. And this is another opportunity to get yet another flashback, where we get a little backstory of Edward post-vampire, where he's hanging out in movie theaters in the 20s, and he's He's not stalking the women, as it turns out. He's stalking the the serial killers that are stalking the women. Yes. And that's his thing. But this is an opportunity for, one, again, the flashback, but two, giving us a sense of uh, kind of like why he is still so concerned about Bella making this turn to become a vampire and why perhaps this is not the right path for them to be taking. Uh, do you like that? This element, at least, is in there when it comes to premarital conversations.
0: Yeah, it's. I I guess I do. I without options, if this isn't a multiple choice question, but true or false, then yes, I like it, and <laughs> I think I have liked. Uh, I I've I, I think generally the things that have aged well on me are the little bits of backstory about the the Collins. Like I I do kind of like their history, and uh, in a movie like this. I, I felt like that was the that was the little dopamine hit that got me like, OK, here's where some action's happening, right? Here's some here's some stuff. It's they're kind of few and far between. But uh, eventually we get there and I I liked it. um You know, I think there is like you talk about some of the the, you know, I, I don't know, some of the cultural or faith based kind of pieces to this. I think continuing to write Edward as sullenly thoughtful, right, as as this. This guy is part of that, right? It, it's part of that 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 strikes me as un, a little bit unreal un you know, inhuman in insofar as it, he is a vampire. Um, but that does feel connected more to what we are discovering of her background than maybe Edward would be more naturally portrayed if if our Pat's just had his chance to go uh, and play this character more authentically.
1: And I think there's an element to writing these characters for a a, a tween and teen audience, where I'm going to give you a vampire as your romantic lead, which means he has to kill people, but it's just the bad people that he's killing. Mm-hmm. Like there's right. definitely that, that whole element. Yeah. So
0: yeah, he's Dexter, or he's the agent of vengeance. Who knew he would go on to play the uh, Batman?
1: Yeah. Right. Right. It's interesting because uh, you know this film as little as actually happens in this film it's a wedding it's a honeymoon and it's getting pregnant and having a baby like that's that's the story i still found it more engrossing than the last film yeah i (laughs) I agree with that i think that speaks to bill condon and his sensibility as a director the way he's telling the story and again trying to um again i don't think he latched onto the camp quite as much as maybe Catherine Hardwick did. But I do think there is some of that here that made it a little more interesting.
0: I would just like to add, as they get to their honeymoon location and he picks her up and carries her across the threshold of that giant glass door that is essentially that big rotating door. I, I realize that this whole series of movies is really the architectural digest of vampire movies, and <laughs> there are some just really sexy real estate. And I don't feel like I've piled on quite enough to how sexy the real estate is in these movies. And if you're if you're looking to flip some pop- property,
1: this could be these could be uh, aspirational redesigns. That seems to be a vampire thing, though. I mean, even an Interview with the Vampire. Look where Antonio Banderas lives. Even, yeah, I mean, look at yeah, look exactly at his right. little. Like the Louisiana place that they had. I mean, there are some fantastic properties that these vampires live. I mean, look at at the hunger at the, you know, fantastic uh, penthouse that um, Catherine Deneuve and David Bowie live in. I mean, it's like vampires, when you live around all this time and you get all this money. Yeah, I guess you're just going to live a life of luxury.
0: Well, wouldn't you, Andy? Come on hell yeah
1: yeah i still wonder like well I, I guess i didn't wonder once we see him taking bella back to the airport to fly her home i'm like how are they flying all the way to rio and not ending <laughs> up in the sun at some point come on people <laughs> no i thought about that too but then uh, i'm like right. oh, okay is there is the cullen private jet of course that he's flying on so yeah
0: we'll just yeah. sit here until it's dark he can shine all the way he wants i think i imagine you would be a burrower if you were an immortal vampire, I think you would stay right in Phoenix and just start digging down. You had to have an underground lair for the ages. That's staying
1: what right in Phoenix would never be my decision, <laughs> Pete. Never.
0: Honestly, that was just a, I, that was a litmus test. I just wanted to see how you feel about Phoenix by making you a vampire. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> okay. They go honeymoon. They they're at the fantastic vacation property that that uh, Carlisle. It just I guess did he give them the whole island? Or like, is that the gift like you now
1: hear, Bell and Edward? I don't know. I was a little confused by that Were the housekeepers, it seemed like the people who came with the property who had an idea, they, you know, these, these Brazilians who had this idea about these mythical creatures or something like I, what? I, I don't know if I fully understood, like, why are these people so tuned into the evils of the vampires? I mean, it seemed like they had gotten used to coming to this place because vampires would bring their uh, their victims there. That's kind of the way that the, the female housekeeper seemed to read Edward. Like, oh, here's the next vampire bringing his victim to this little place, and I'm going to have to clean up the bloody mess. Is that how you read the, the way that those two were? Kind of. Yeah, that was weird. I
0: Like there's they have this um, the the real sort of supernatural juju vibe that they know something that the islanders know something. The housekeepers know something about <laughs> the that.
1: islanders. Let's say it's only them. This was like an island with one hut on it. So I
0: did a I did a Google search for did Carlisle give Bella and Edward an island? And I came up with Edward and Bella spend their honeymoon on Isle Esme, an uninhabited island off the coast of Brazil. The island was a gift from Carlisle to Esme uh, and not a gift to Edward and Bella. But it's Carlisle. They're keeping the island. They can just use it. That's the, Oh,
1: okay. So they bought them the or they bought them. They they let them use the family jet to fly and to stay at their family house. Exactly. So Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: So yeah, the housekeepers and then but but even before that this is their first night. We have this moment of uh of first night lovemaking which is in the ocean. They start in the ocean. They Edward is in the ocean. He's already disrobed and he's staring at the at a giant giant Moon and is moonlit, and then she perilously, thought thoughtfully or gingerly, delicately takes off her clothes and walks out into the ocean. And they stand in the moonlit night, and they talk about how scary it's going to be to do it. But then they do it.
1: This is where it is, and that's the end. <laughs> no, uh, and then, then it's sex. They go sex, inside. Sex,
0: so much yeah. sex she is they the, and the next time we see the bed it's just totally destroyed
1: <laughs> which well, is okay. outstanding what's, what are we supposed to read by their sexual encounters because he seems very the way that it plays sometimes seems like he's having issues like he's having um concerns about being impotent like and i'm like is that what's impotent? going on in my well like he's getting really into it but then it like he keeps seeming so upset about things and i i was talking to my wife i'm like why is he playing like this and she's like that's because he's so afraid and this yeah. was this was my thing with jacob earlier cuz when jacob finds out that they're going to have sex while she's human, before she's changed, he flips out at the wedding yeah. and is like, how dare you? you're going to kill her? You're going to kill her and all this sort of stuff. And yeah. I was like to my wife, I'm like, "I, I, why is he so upset? Because he knows that she's going to get pregnant with a vampire baby. And she's like, no, 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 no. no. It's very it's clear in the book. He's upset that because Jacob is or because Edward is not going to be able to control himself mm-hmm. as a vampire when he's having sex. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, uh, I don't know how well all of that worked for me
0: well this is the problem that i have with it just in general that if edward is so upset about breaking her bones like just like ripping her pelvis apart that he's going to kill her uh maybe they shouldn't cinematically portray that experience as something that shreds the actual wood support beams of the bed, because that's the thing that's unbelievable to me. I actually don't mind at all that they have violent sex, but they set it up as if the she would not be able her body would not be able to take having sex with him. And I don't believe that if the bed ended up in that condition because of his strength and fortitude. That she would not be a pulpy mess like her rib cage all closed, you know, collapse. Like I think she would have had to be hospitalized. And so I struggle with that. I know it's a romance movie, not made for me, but it did take me out of the movie because I think it's ridiculous.
1: Well, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, she had a couple bruises on her body, but I, I don't know. I never really. It never seemed to me that there was a concern of damage to her. Like it just, it, it didn't come across that. There was this concern like she wasn't worried. She clearly just wanted to keep having sex because she's been horny
0: for three movies, Andy. (laughs) I
1: I know, but I'm just saying it's ridiculous (laughs) that I'm supposed to buy into, you know, the anything that's happened with them having sex that she's worried about him going too far. Like it hasn't. Yeah, it, it hasn't happened. And it just like, yeah, it's just like I don't know. It plays it plays poorly, I guess, was my issue. I just didn't I didn't feel like it ever worked. Well, I don't know that it.
0: I would argue that it. What way it played for me, but I am. I. I will say, like for for my eye, I never missed this. Like I, I didn't. I knew I, I was able to track that um, all the way through to the bed scene. Like he's been. He hasn't wanted to hurt her. She's wanted to have sex. Like as human, she's wanted to have sex. And then have sex as a human, and she waited to like, and and he was concerned about hurting her, like that. That was never a thing that was lost, but maybe that's because I audio booked and slept to the first book or two many times.
1: Yeah, I I guess I just I I didn't read it that way, and so that might have just been me, where I just kind of I missed something. Maybe I closed my eyes a little too long. <laughs> Part of this, <laughs> who knows? Anyway, okay, yeah. so now they finally had sex, and uh, the housekeepers come. And, of course, see the giant mess that they've made, which can't be the first. I I, Again, I'm really confused by these housekeepers because they seem to know, hey, we're cleaning. We're taking care of a house for vampires, even though it's Carlisle's and they don't eat humans. But they seem to be like, oh, yeah, you're just the next in line of the the pretty young woman brought by the vampire to be eaten. I'm like, when has that ever happened in this place? Yeah, I don't really get it. I am totally with you on that. Like they expect
0: there to be some bacchanal of vampire feast. And it, I, I don't under the story, is not the backstory they've given us has never indicated that that's a risk.
1: Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of concern. It's not even concern that the female housekeeper has for Bella. She seems, uh, she seems angry at Bella, which is strange because it seems like if she were really somebody who is concerned about the human. That a vampire brings to the island, it seems like she would be trying to slip her messages or something as opposed to just looking at her with, with, you know, scorn and derision. I don't know. The way that all of that played was was a little awkward for me. I didn't really care for it. But thankfully, all of that leads
0: to her getting insta-pregnant, like fast. I, this is where I struggle with the lore a little bit. I don't feel like it, is, it makes any sense that vampires are able to get a, humans pregnant. That's... That's a thing that has felt like this, the whole series, the book, because if vampires are walking dead, if they're dead, how are sperm alive? How are their sperm alive? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's a little vampire sperm, little vampire fangy vampire sperm. And I just don't understand how they can they can expect it. That's why this like as much as this movie, like I kind of like had a better time with it, it. It feels like the series as a whole has jumped the shark. Like, I can't. The baby, I just can't with this. Like, I can't. I just, I have such a struggle with the fact that she's pregnant. She's insta-pregnant. He got her pregnant. It's, It doesn't make any sense to me uh, how they expect this to, to have happened and to be believable. Again, not made for me, clearly, but dumb. How long is her pregnancy? 35 minutes. Like, how fast? (laughs) A couple of days, it feels like. Like, how long are they on this island. It feels like long okay. enough for her
1: to get better at chess. So I'm looking online and of course Quora pops up and somebody asks how long was Bella pregnant in Twilight? A month. The wedding is on August 13th, the honeymoon right after. I can't how long can't remember how long they stay on the island, but within an estimated week they conceive Renezme. She gives birth a couple days before her birthday. Her birthday is September 13th, so they are estimating Renezme's birth September 13th. So that's how long her body goes through this pregnancy process. Okay. Vampire pregnancy, super super fast, and also super, super dangerous fast. because apparently the baby. Wants to eat the mom from the inside out, Yes. Kind of way, or or gum the mom from the inside <laughs> out since they have no teeth. Uh, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. It, and yeah, yeah. So okay, so what do we think about that? The baby is this now just sees this human mom as food. Did that did that strike you as shark jumpy at all?
1: I mean, you know. I don't think it's shark jumpy in this nonsense series where you've got silver vampires <laughs> that are like terminators. Uh the werewolves are kind of like the most believable creature in it even though the lore of the werewolves is they can turn into werewolves whenever they want as we learned I think in the last film was it that that Jacob was so upset that he went and ran off around northern Canada for like an entire yeah. <laughs> month. Or no, that's the very beginning of this film. When he comes back, he's like, I was up in Northern Canada. It's weird being on two feet again, like he was so confused about. Yeah. So I don't think that having a vampire baby ends up jumping the shark for this movie, because all of it is just kind of, you know, Stephanie Meyer makeup um, as far as what she wants to, how she wants to modify these these uh, different supernatural creatures. So... You know, it's fine. It's another of these things where a baby grows super fast, which seems to be a horror movie trope where a baby, you know, the devil baby grows super fast in your belly and uh, breaks your back and all sorts of stuff. It made it seem, though, and this is, I guess, one part where I think it was a little confusing, where her placenta was like so rock hard that they couldn't because they tried to inject a needle into her they had tried to do something else and they couldn't get anything through the placenta so what how is the baby eating its way out then if it it like the placenta is so like steel like that that nothing can get through well because it has to eat its way out <laughs> cuz it's a vampire yeah but it's like it but nothing else can. It's like I don't know. It was it was weird. Well, I guess Edward ate his way through to open it up yes, when he did, and you know, he had to give a you know, C section. That's a great an oral C section. So an
0: oral yeah. C section. Oh God, Andy. <laughs> Ugh.
1: <laughs> Ugh. so much gross about what you just said. <laughs> I, to, I mean, he, it was a very mouth on bella movie because when he's trying to turn her like he's just like i'm just gonna bite her all over i'm sure this will work <laughs> it's just like he's biting her everywhere i'm like what is what is going on here i mean again some of that speaks to what i think is kind of this campiness of the movie where it's just it was so silly like why does he have to bite her arm and her leg and her ankle and her hip and like i mean it just i don't know i ended up laughing quite a bit through this silly film
0: Yeah, as you should. Okay, Uh, so the baby's coming and it's eating Bella and she's starting to look bad. But there is, meanwhile, uh, this whole other story going on with Jacob and the werewolves, right? Mm, This is the fight for Alphadom,
1: which is going on right now. How did Jacob's line work for you? It's essentially the they needed. I don't know. I'm curious about the book. Because I'm wondering, how much did they expand on this just to give us an antagonist and a sense of um, you know, imperative uh, doom for this particular half of the book? Because the whole thread here is that when the werewolves um, and the pack is led by Sam find out that bella is pregnant they look at this as having broken the pact the treaty that is going on between the vampires and the colon or the the cullen family and the werewolves and and say no this is this is i don't remember their words but it's unnatural we have to kill the baby and so they all set out to go kill the baby and and it's just jacob with the help of, uh, I can't remember, Seth and Leah. Is that the two who are helping him? Keeping the werewolves at bay while Bella goes through all of her stuff. And so they're all just hanging out in the house. And until we get to kind of that end when um, we kind of see what else, what else is happening there. And, uh, you know, I I didn't love it. I didn't think it was terrible. Again, this film still didn't bore me like the last film did. But it did feel like they needed to come up with something to kind of keep the energy going and to keep the, uh, you know, give us a a final battle, essentially, that we have at the end as the the werewolves kind of come in and try to attack and stop uh, and stop the baby. And, of course, that leads to the whole imprinting thing, which is another element that we've had with the werewolves when we find out it's (laughs) not Bella Jacob is going to imprint on, but May
0: okay so imprinting. I think much uh, ado has been made about uh, imprinting
1: in this movie. And the memes are awesome. Had you seen memes before you watched this? Because I hadn't. I, I don't know if I had.
0: Yes, uh, it, I I had. And a part of it is because uh, our uh, our own... Team member Kyle (laughs) has made his share personally of a bunch of memes. And when he found out we were doing Twilight, he sent me a bunch of the memes he'd made and submitted to the Internet that were quite delightful uh, about. "Mm, See that baby? I'm going to marry it kind of thing. And it's it is funny in the context of this silly movie as it is and the way they played it in the movie that he's imprinting, not as a, you know, a baby. Yeah, not as a hot baby that he's going to marry that <laughs> hot baby, but instead that he is he is taking on an oath of being the protector of the baby. I think it's fine. We're in a silly, ridiculous universe that is fine right now, right? As this movie exists in isolation in my brain, I'm kind of OK with the imprinting thing. They've set us up movies ago, and now they're paying that off. And I guess are you I mean, does it?
1: Are you okay with it? Yeah, I, I didn't really care. I'm just like, oh, he's got imprint on. <laughs> he's got imprint on someone in these movies. It's not going to be Bella. So Better that's than of... a <laughs> bookend, I guess. <laughs> Better than a chair leg. Well, like, they set it up. <laughs> they might as well do something with it. So it was. It was one of those things where I'm like, oh, of course, of course. Here it comes. It's the bebe.
0: I. I mean, I know. I have this feeling that the next movie is gonna. Gonna pay dividends in ways that I kind of don't want to but I I expect like I think it's going to give us more to talk about on this front but right now as part one exists having not read the book I'm kind of okay with the imprinting
1: yeah it was one of those things where they introduced it inevitably it has to be utilized you didn't want the gun on the mantelpiece that never gets used. It needs it's been telegraphed through several imprinting films. It's like we might as Chekhov's well
0: imprinting, Andy. God.
1: <laughs> That's what we have. So yeah, it uh, you know and it plays again to your point in the context of this film. I don't know how it works in the next film, but in the context of this film, it works because it liv- lets Jacob finally imprint on somebody. It's and in a way <laughs> It's a way of telling Bella, like, I still love you and I'm going to protect your daughter. And that's the whole thing is like by imprinting on the baby, he's telling the wolf pack, you can do nothing to this baby now because apparently that's a wolf rule. And I don't remember if that had come up before, but like once you've imprinted off limits, you cannot yeah, that feels touch new. That, that you cannot touch. Yeah, I feel like they make up these rules as they go along.
0: I it's yeah. I think they make up. The, I think she does make up these rules as she goes along. I think that's what it feels like. This feels like we're in the in this particular book in the saga, and rules are gonna be rules. And uh, there we go.
1: Yeah. So that's and that's kind of builds to the conclusion of the film. So I will say, I will say though Carter Burwell was back for the score, and I was thrilled because I felt like, hey, I recognize some of these themes. Oh look at that, Carter Burwell is back doing the music again. Yep. Which was it was very great. nice to have him doing it. was it. really, yeah. really lovely. As the person who created the themes and then had them further developed by Desplat and forgotten by Shore, <laughs> it was nice to, <laughs> nice to have Burwell coming back and using them again. So, yeah, so that's the movie. Oh, and then we should just say, as a, as a final point on the conversation, we have a, a mid-credits sequence in this film. That's right where we get to finally return to the big overarching plot that has kind of been dropped in here and there. It is the Volturi and we get a letter. And I will just say it was a very funny scene. I enjoy Michael Sheen so much in these movies. He's somebody who gets the camp. He's like, this is a campy, goofy franchise. I'm here for it. He's reads a letter that he receives from a human subject of theirs. who Clearly is an idiot. Carlisle, it has an S in it. <laughs> and, uh, Sweet Bianca. <laughs> this is so funny. But, you know, the whole bit. Okay, we're setting something up with the Volturi. They're interested in Renesmee also. By the way, worst name ever, Renesmee. Oh, terrible. But the best part about it is when they
0: all discover what the name is, everybody in the room understands this is a terrible name. <laughs>
1: Love what right. you tried to do, but we all know, Wink, this is dumb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, But that's it. And that's really setting us up for the big finale in the next film, which will include the Volturi and finally wrap up this whole story of Bella and Edward and Jacob and all of this stuff.
0: Yep. I, for one, Andy, am really excited to have watched the last movie. The last movie? Like you've already watched it? No, I haven't. I'm excited to have already watched the movie when that time comes and be done with Twilight.
1: Oh, you're pre-excited for yourself. I'm pre-excited to, to, to be done. with.
0: Yes. Uh, I feel like all of these movies have just in in their own unique way so far have been a bit of a letdown. <laughs> this one, I was more into than the last for sure. But um, I'm at this point, I'm ready to see. Let's let's see. I, I have only high hopes for the last movie because, my God, like. She's a vampire now. We've been waiting for that since she first wanted to get bit in the first movie. Like we've put in our time. We put in our patience to actually get to some some action and, and I wanna see some bigger some bigger action that's not just werewolves and the Collins don't agree with stuff and let's and and also a fanning shows up. Like I'm ready to
1: <laughs> get into some more serious stuff. Here's a question for you. Speaking of more serious stuff, before we move on, yeah, Do you feel, is there anything in this film that stands out like the previous films where they're gaslighting this character, that the woman character is not being treated in a way that uh, makes sense? Hashtag me too. Like, is there anything happening here where we're running into a lot of those issues still?
0: That's actually a really interesting question. There was nothing in here that actually jumped out at me, in fact. Whereas the signals in the rest of the movies so far have been so blatant I'm surprised to, and delighted to say that nothing really jumped out at me in watching this movie. I'm, I can see you scouring your notes right now. Did, did I miss something?
1: That's what I'm looking for. I'm like, did I write anything down? That's crazy. I think that this may have been um, the first time... You know, I mean, aside from just just general issues we have about getting married at 18 and everyone's like, yep, go for it. Yeah, that's all. And nobody talking about it. But, yeah, I don't think anything really stands out as, you know, they could have handled that better.
0: I think so. I think this might be the most. The most clean, pure hashtag me movie of the set.
1: Yeah, crazy to say. All right. All right. Well, we will be right back. But first, our credits.
0: The Next Reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by Ryan Darling, Oriole Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and numbers at d-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. And if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. I'll give you my Andy, how to do it award season. Was it able to even keep up? with the last movie
1: (laughs) these films they're popular they're surprisingly doing really well at awards i mean yes it did get nominated for uh eight razzies but still it won 11 awards (laughs) it was nominated for yeah i know it was it it won 11 awards and it was nominated for 22 others the funniest one Is the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, they have this category that I love. Most egregious age difference between the leading man and the love interest. It won. It actually was a tie. (laughs) They gave it to it because of Bella, 18, and Edward, over 100. (laughs)
0: Oh, my God.
1: I like that they at least acknowledge that, yes, he is. He's a really old man. Yeah. Uh, well, and tied, the fact that it,
0: it's OK that they introduce another massive age difference that
1: is only, you know, yeah. what,
0: 17 years in Jacob but still still Exactly.
1: Uh, but they say that it tied, actually, with Albert Nobbs between Glenn Close and Mia Wasikowska's character. Oh, that's so. funny. Yeah. Okay. Over at, at Galeka, the Society of LGBTQ Entertainment Critics, it was nominated for Campy Film of the Year. Look at that. Somebody's recognized the camp of the film, but it lost to the Muppets. The Kids' Choice Awards gave Kristen Stewart their favorite, favorite movie actress and Taylor Lautner their favorite butt kicker awards. And the MTV Movie and TV Awards, it won Best Kiss. And it won Best Movie and, of course, the Teen Choice Awards. It won Best Choice Movie Actress in a Romance for Kristen Stewart, Best, again, Female Scene Stealer, Ashley Green, and Best Romance Movie. It was nominated for Best Sci-Fi Fantasy Movie but lost to The Hunger Games. This is when The Hunger Games really takes over as far as this audience. Taylor Lautner and Pattinson were both nominated for Best Sci Fi Fantasy Movie Actor, but lost to Josh Hutcherson in The Hunger Games and The Journey to the Mysterious Island. And uh, Stewart was nominated for Sci Fi Fantasy Movie Actress, but lost to Jennifer Lawrence in The Hunger Games. Robert Pattinson was nom- nominated for Best Romance or Actor in a Romance, but lost to Zach Efron in The Lucky One. Again, Scene Stiller, uh, this one was Nikki Reed no- nominated, but lost to Ashley Green. Kellen Lutz, Again, always gets nominated for Male Scene Stiller, but lost to Liam Hemsworth this time in The Hunger Games. (laughs) And last but not least, it was nominated for Best Movie Lip Lock, but lost to The Hunger Games between Jennifer Lawrence and Josh
0: Hutcherson. Wow. Lip Lock. That's sad.
1: I'm curious to see how the last film does competing in those categories.
0: Me too. All right. And the box office. I assume it did fairly well because we're going to get part two.
1: <laughs> you right. Uh, the first part of Condon's epic conclusion to this story had a whopping budget of 127 and a half million or 145 million in today's dollars that is almost double. What the last film cost. They decided to go back to Thanksgiving week, opening the movie November 18th, 2011 opposite Happy Feet 2, The Muppets, Arthur Christmas, which we've talked about on the show, and Hugo, along with limited releases of My Week with Marilyn and A Dangerous Method. The movie held the number one spot for three weeks, a new record for the franchise, but it still only stayed in the top 10 for five weeks. It went on to earn $281.3 million domestically and $430.9 million internationally for a total gross of $812 $812 million in in today's dollars another drop in adjusted gross but still it lands the film with an adjusted profit per finished minute of 5.7 million dollars
0: all right that's something i think of of all of them andy one of the things that might be the most satisfying of this movie is that it is the closest to like being horror adjacent right and that we get some kind of gruesome ideas that aren't necessarily played out visually because YA, made for the kids, not made for me, but give me enough to chew on, to think about, so to speak, that uh, that might make this uh, one of my more favorable approaches to these movies. As boring as I I thought it was overall, there are some ideas here that are that are pretty good. I will
1: give you a placenta to chew on or through, as the case Ugh. may be. Oh, God, don't get me that. <laughs> We'll be right back for our ratings But first here is the trailer for next week's movie The Conclusion Bill Condon's follow up The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 2 I've
0: had a bad habit of underestimating you Every obstacle you faced I think you couldn't overcome
1: it And you just did I didn't expect you to seem so You? My time as a human was over but I never felt more alive. I thought we would be safe forever. But forever isn't as long as I'd hoped.
0: I have to report a crime. The collins they've done something...
1: terrible. Well, Terry, thanks for an immortal child.
0: She was born, not bitten. She grows every single day. Oh, my. Creating an immortal child has long been outlawed.
1: And is met with the severest form of punishment. Death. Out.
0: The Volturi, they're coming for us. If enough people knew the truth, maybe we could convince the Volturi to listen.
1: Our search began, looking for vampires in the most remote corners of the world.
0: My family's in danger, I need your help.
1: Each with their own gift. You, an amazing woman.
0: We'll join you. <laughs> Pax will fight. We've never been afraid of vampires. Letterboxd, Andy. Have you heard of Letterboxd? I think you have. It's our favorite social network for movie lovers, and uh, it, it, we fell in love with it. You can find us and, and all the movies that we've talked about at uh, letterbox.com slash Soda Creek Film for Andy, Letterboxd.com slash Pete Wright for me, and Letterboxd.com slash The Next Reel for the whole show, which has our watch lists, the movies we're talking about coming up, and all the reviews and links to all of the shows that we have done. When you fall in love with it, because we're sure you are, uh, you can can get twenty percent off your upgrade and support the team, remove all the ads by just using the code NEXTREEL at checkout, or just visit thenextreel.com slash letterbox, you'll get twenty percent off. It takes you right to the checkout page with the code already applied. Uh nextreel. com slash letterboxed. Okay, Andy, how will you allot your finite resource that does come in the form of stars to this movie? I think you're the only one with finite stars. Uh, <laughs> you're gonna regret finding that out on your deathbed that you'll have run out of stars to review the last movie that you will watch. You'll be like, <laughs> hey, it has like, to be a hey, zero something. star movie. I watched it, I won't That's be right. able to review it because I'm out of stars. It'll happen.
1: Uh this was better than the last film, which I think I gave one star and no hearts. Maybe one yeah, I think it was one star and no hearts. Um the the second the 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 second film I gave one and a half and a heart, I think, the first film, two, two and a half and a heart. I, I feel like I'm going to do two stars for this one and a heart. I, I I It's not a great movie, but I still enjoyed it well enough. So two stars with a little bit of love.
0: I'm glad you said that. So I did the New Moon for me was two stars, no heart. Twilight Saga Eclipse was one star, no heart. Um. I think I'll go back to, wait, what did you say? Two stars? Two stars and a heart. I'm going to go back to that, too. Two stars and a heart, because this is better than new moon, definitely better than eclipse. And let's just see what happens with TTSBD P2.
1: Yes, we shall see. Remember, visit the slash letterbox to get your patron or pro membership. It works for renewals as well. And don't forget, we have a membership you can sign up for. You get all of your episodes early. You get bonus episodes. We get monthly member bonus episodes, uh, retake episodes at the end of each series, uh, flick chart re-ranking. Get all sorts of uh, extra content that we provide. And, uh, you know, we're right now for our members. They have voted and we are delivering For the next few months The Jaws follow-up So we'll be talking about Jaws 2 Jaws 3D And Jaws the Revenge Uh, It's going to make For some interesting conversations Uh, But you can learn more At thenextreel.com Slash membership So what did you think About Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 We would love to know Hop into the Show Talk channel On our Discord community Where we'll be talking About the movie this week When the movie ends Our conversation begins
0: Letterboxd giveth, Andrew.
1: As Letterboxd always doeth.
0: You rightly said before that we didn't talk about CG Baby, but I also watched Barbarian this weekend. And this baby is better (laughs) than the monster they created. The maternal story of Barbarian. Just saying. Okay. Um, How'd you do? What'd you come up with for Letterboxd?
1: I went low. I went to a half star by Aaliyah. Uh, Okay. Aaliyah has this to say. Some highlights from the movie. The music change mid-wedding scene while they were exchanging vows? What was the reason? (laughs) (laughs) Bella's mom singing a lullaby instead of a speech actually had me in tears. Bella sobbing because after she wanted her sex dream to be reality. Peak comedy. That scene where the wolves talked to each other, except their mouths weren't moving, so it was literally an ominous zoom into Wolf Jacob's face with a dramatic monologue voiceover. (laughs) Why did it zoom into Edward's ear when Jacob was talking to him? (laughs) Edward Googling vampire children. Sir, you're a whole vampire. How is Google.com going to help? Quote, if it's a boy, EJ, Edward Jacob, end quote. Help! At least he wasn't going to name it Jedward. (laughs) When her back broke, why was that the funniest thing I've ever seen? (laughs) The montage of Jacob imprinting on that CG'd baby. Why does horror as a genre exist when we have that? (laughs) And last point: Why was there a rewind flashback to literally every scene in the previous movies, like at the beginning of every TV show? I'm laughing. <laughs> that's oh, amazing. so many points! So that is so
0: many. good. Oh my god! Well, I have I have one that's not nearly as funny, but I think I, I think a good and astute bit of commentary. Uh, it's two and a half for, uh, stars from Anna Kendrick Lamar, who says Pauline kale once wrote. Movies are so rarely great art that if we cannot appreciate great trash, we have very little reason to be interested in them. (laughs) Breaking Dawn Part 1 is dressed up nice. It has the least amount of silly mythology BS, more attempt at character development, the acting has improved with the goes-without-saying exception of Mr. Lautner, and with Bill Condon as director, it is easily the best, most artistically shot entry in the series – But the whole pregnancy plot is pure pure pulp garbage, and seeing it play out in such an antithetical context kind of makes it work. I got invested in this movie simply by virtue of how weird and left-field everything about it was. And unlike the previous three films, I was never bored. I'm not defending this as a good movie in any way. But regarding Kale's concept of great trash, I think it qualifies. I think so, too, Anna (laughs) Hendrick Lamar. I'll take it. Hear, here! All right. Thanks, Letterboxd. You're the best. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM.